the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Mitsui OSK Lines Chairman Junichiro Ikeda has worked at the Japanese shipping giant for more than 40 years, and has witnessed numerous testing periods in the shipping industry. Just two years after he joined the company in 1979, Drybulkers entered into one of the world's historical downturns amid a global recession, and the market trough persisted until the second half of 1987, partially due to the order binge led by compatriot company Sanko Steamship, an event that was too painful to be forgotten by many within the sector. Mr. Ikeda also recalls the great threat posed by the 2008 global financial meltdown, and the rat race among container shipping carriers that followed when he was heading MOL's liner division. Today, shipping is struggling to overcome being hit by multiple challenges at once. The two largest of them are arguably Paris, associated with the current rebalancing of geopolitical power. And uncertainties arising from the industry's battle against climate change. In a chat with Lloyd's List, Mr. Ikeda shared his insights into what he considers as the biggest risks facing shipping, and how MOL is responding to the significant unpredictability lying ahead. Every shipping company, of course, has its own response tactics, depending on factors such as the size of the business, the markets it operates in. Or the sorts of its leadership. However, the wisdom shared by the chairman of one of the world's largest and oldest shipping companies should provide valuable reference. So, my first question to Mr. Ikeda is: What would you see as the industry's biggest challenge throughout your four-decade career? It's a difficult question. I've experienced the tough time after the 2008 global financial crisis, and I've survived the fierce competition among container lines. Both are extremely testing periods. However, in the past four decades, as the world became more liberalized and globalization progressed, the shipping industry overall had wind at its back. But now, considering the world will be drastically changing due to geopolitical tensions. It may be the most challenging time for shipping. Indeed, the Russia-Ukraine war and the resulting sanctions against Moscow have already increased compliance risks for shipping companies. Trade dislocations have benefited some vessel segments, but the military conflicts and economic decoupling are also contributing to another impending global recession, sending a chill through the entire industry. In the long term, the push for supply chain restructuring alongside technological advancements such as 3D printing could significantly reduce the demand for seabound trade, Mr. Kita believes. Nearshoring or reshoring is certainly a medium-term concern. However, the cargo amount will also likely decrease as the technology develops. Think about how much 3D printer will become prevalent. I believe the age of 3D printers will come when every household owns a 3D printer at home, and all clothes, furniture, and electronic devices can be produced locally. It may still sound like a science fiction, but if this becomes reality, shipping is no longer required.
Well, I don't know how, how long it will take, but uh, well, it, eventually it wouldn't materialize. But uh, this is my, well, the worst dream. <laughs> for now, it is impossible for shipping companies to change the minds of politicians. What they can do is to remain flexible, arranging new services to keep abreast with the shifting trade flows represents an important survival skill, for example. So does trying as much as possible to stay neutral in international disputes. Even if decoupling accelerates, cargo movement will not stop. How can shipping companies provide services adapting to changes in the cargo movement? Or do they have to be on either side or stay neutral? This is the subject that every shipping company needs to think about. Shipping is a global business and cannot avoid geopolitical issues, but the world should be free and open in principle. It may sound idealistic, but we would like to help ease the geopolitical tension by enriching people's lives by carrying cargo around the world. That perhaps explains the reason why MOL has wanted to continue to transport liquefied natural gas from Russia as long as regulations permit. And another strategy amid the unprecedented uncertainty is to protect earnings by reducing exposure to volatility and diversifying businesses into areas that are engines for future growth. This is part of the new corporate management plan called Blue Action 2035, rolled out by MOL early this year. In its business portfolio reform, the company is required to slash the ratio of its high-volatility assets, namely container ships, car carriers, and some dry bulks and tankers, to 40% in 2025 from 51% in 2022. The profit contribution will also reduce to 60% from 92% over the same period of time. Meanwhile, a substantial increase in asset and profit ratio is envisaged for MOL's non-shipping business, including offshore, offshore wind power, alternative fuels, logistics, real estate, ferries and cruises. The ultimate vision is to turn MOL into a social infrastructure company with its origins in the sea, according to the management plan. The steadier cash inflow resulting from these changes will help the company address another vital industry challenge, decarbonization. Mr. Ikeda says MOL is looking to invest nearly $5 billion over the next three years to help deliver its net zero emission target by 2050. And depending on the development of green fuels and vessel technologies, the budget could rise to over $15 billion in the next decade. Some of its peers have made similar net zero pledges. MOL has distinguished itself by setting detailed key performance indicators and timetables in various areas to measure its progress. Part of the plan is for the company, which operates nearly 700 ships, to have 90 vessels fueled by LNG or methanol by 2030, and then 130 ocean going vessels with net zero emissions by 2035. But is that a bit too hasty, given the fact that a global regulatory framework for pricing carbon into freight rates remains absent 
and there is still no clarity on which green fuel will become the industrial standard in future. Shouldn't we wait for a while and see what will happen? No, it's not an option, at least not for MOL, according to Mr. Ikeda. Every ship owner takes different stances. However, as decarbonization becomes a condition to be met, there is no choice of wait and see. Even our customers are not just waiting but actively thinking of what can be done now and requesting us to switch to LNG fuels or use methanol, so we also need to meet their requirement. There is no uncertainty about you know, future fuel, as, as she mentioned, but uh, we can't really wait for you know, everything to be clear. So other than, rather than you know, waiting, we try to you know, uh, lead that, that, that new trend. Yeah. And of, of also, you know, um, LNG fuel, for example, uh, is not the perfect solution for the you know, carbon neutral because, you know, they still emit uh, CO2. Yes. But uh, it's better than, you know, uh, oil, heavy oil. So uh, what we can do now is uh, actively introducing LNG fuel. There have been no signs yet showing charterers are willing to pay premium for due fuel ships. But as Ms. Ikeda argues, the tide may turn one day, and MOL is certainly preparing itself for that day to come. The company is planning to invest in the production of green methanol in countries including the US, although the projects have yet to enter the final investment decision stage according to Mr. Ikeda. Nevertheless, ammonia appears to remain the preferred option as a future fuel for the Japanese giant. Well, at least for now. Neither green methanol or ammonia are feasible today. Green methanol is estimated to be very expensive. At the same time, while developing ammonia-driven engines may take some time, ammonia fuel itself is already available in the market. Plus, coal-fired power plants in Japan are planning to co-fire ammonia for power generation, which may greatly increase the demand of ammonia and reduce its cost. That's the point where we believe ammonia has economic and technological advantage over methanol. But we should stay agile and adjust to the changing environment while we implement our strategy to become carbon neutral by 2050. The path to get there is not necessarily fixed. Although currently, I believe ammonia has an advantage. But if there is a breakthrough in methanol development and the costs get much cheaper, we may change direction to methanol. Fortunately, we are diversifying our approaches and don't have to stick to one solution. But can shipping afford to burn the green fields? Shipping, uh, it is not a question about whether shipping is able to afford it or not, but a discussion about the whole of society's need to understand the importance of it and share the costs required to achieve that environmental goal. It is not a challenge for shipping alone. Well, I guess all of us will agree that decarbonization is not a challenge for shipping only. But it is one of the critical hurdles that companies in this industry must jump over.
and that requires both past experience and forward thinking. As the saying goes, with age comes wisdom. Let's hope that MOL, which has been in operation for 140 years, will continue to embody this expectation. I'm Cixun Shen, the APEC editor of Lloyd's List. Thank you very much for listening.